Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we read and discuss a collection of comic books or a graphic novel. I am your host, Dallas. I'm Anne. And this week, Alexis is out. If you listened last week, her voice was not in a great place, and it's only gotten worse. Mm -hmm. And so we called in the expert. We called in the star of Godzilla Tube, star of WWE, AEW, professional wrestling Twitter, uh, number one man himself, Matt Draper. How's it going, Matt? Thanks so much for having me. I'm relieved to know that I wasn't driving her away. I was like, did she get like a look at the topic and was like, oh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna back out of this one. Um, but thanks anyway, maybe I'll come back again. <laughs> See, I'm sorry to say the reason her voice is so hoarse is because she saw there was Alan Moore we were reading. She just went outside and started screaming for hours. She's like, you'd never believe I lost my voice after weeping uncontrollably, <laughs> realizing this go. was the same guy that wrote from hell. The saying over yeah. and over again, it can't keep getting away with this. <laughs> Um, love the From Hell episode, by the way. And if Alexis is going to listen to this, which I don't know why she would, uh, she did a great job <laughs> with that. Uh, tons of great research on that one. Really um, elevated you guys for one shining room. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was our one moment in the sun was we turned to Alexis and we said, do you want to take it away? And she she took it away. <laughs> and we took her right back in to Grant Morrison land after that. <laughs> Kicking yeah. and screaming. <laughs> we saw that. We said that was great. That really worked. Let's never do it again. Yeah, we are never going to lean into your strengths again. You, you took the spotlight away from us a little too long. Um, you are still the little sister, and we moved on back to comic books. That's good. You know, everyone has to know their place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is great because she's not going to listen to this. A hundred percent, she will not hear any of this. Um. <laughs> But uh, you, dear listener, you you do exist. And this week, we are talking with Matt about the anatomy lesson. The first five issues in Alan Moore, Stephen Bissett, and John Tottleben's seminal Swamp Thing run. So, what? so uh, that? I don't know. <laughs> I definitely didn't laugh at a word. Keep going. So, Matt, when we were talking a little bit about what you wanted to come back on the show to talk about, uh, what was it about Swamp Thing that made you want to settle on it and make your debut or your return with Swamp Thing? Definitely a return. I know that no one listened to my other episode <laughs> because it was on a, a web comic that became a, a, a comic book. But, um, well, I did send you a lot of options. I sent you like a dozen options. And mm-hmm. then you were like, what about Black Sap? And then I said, well, what do, what do Anne and Alexis want to read? And they're like, mm, maybe not that. And so mm-hmm. I was like, they pick Swamp Thing, and I said, "Okay, let's do that." And it is getting a lot of, I'm getting a lot of reactions. Is this the truth of what happened, or is there something else that Dallas was hiding from me? No, no, that was it. That was about it. Okay, we yeah, we picked perfect. it. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I definitely was like, ah, oh, we could read Black Sad, and they're like, send the rest of the list. And I was like, <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah, anything else? <laughs> not the uh, not the anthropomorphic detective story. It's good. I Listen, it is very I, good. I bet if I search in this comment thread right now, or text chain, I guarantee I would find the comment where I said, I am interested in Black Sad. Mm-hmm. I guarantee Unfortunately, it. I can't see that thread. Okay, so. fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> you called <laughs> my boss so hard. Well, it will be uh, undiscovered. But, I mean, okay, so Swamp Thing, 
I'm a big, big fan. Uh, that's why I was <laughs> on the list, especially of Alan Moore's run. And um, I've done a series of videos on Swamp Thing over the years. The first video that I did on it was almost four years ago, which is crazy. Um, and then uh, at the time of recording this, this week, I published my last video on uh, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, which was a video that I was hoping to do for a while. I had a lot of different ideas on how I would continue to wrap up um, covering Alan Moore's Swamp Thing because I, I did it in a series of videos covering different arcs. And it was actually um, that this was going to be the uh, the topic that made me bump it up in my schedule. Because I was like, oh, I should I should finish that out. And then it'd be nice to sort of wrap it all around going back to the very beginning and talking about the first arc um, was kind of why I bumped it up. Because I was going to do it anyway. Um, but I was like, okay, let's, let's do it. And I'm just... It was just uh, good to get get it done, and I really enjoyed covering it. Um, and I think that the anatomy lesson is it's it's of course like the most important Swamp Thing story ever. But I think that's really important within like larger comic books, superhero comics, and DC comics in general. So I thought it would be really interesting to talk about. So I'd love to hear all of your opinions. Uh, let me just crack that open, and let's just get going. Um, maybe before yeah, I talk about the anatomy lesson. I would, I'd love to hear, Matt, do you feel like your feelings about the anatomy lesson have changed since you've done all these videos about more Swamp Thing? Yeah, it's been interesting to reread it again. I've read it a few times, but to reread it in the context of having gone through the entire series and analyzed the entire series. And the anatomy lesson is like, I mean, I guess this is a pun, but it is a really important seed for everything that Moore does in general, as you go along. And, um, you know, on its own, it's a really fascinating and complex, I think, really well done story. But then when you see what happens with Swamp Thing and Abigail and the way that Moore builds out this whole world of the green and the way that his outlook on the world is sort of revealed to you over time, because uh, I think that his Swamp Thing run just kind of encompasses everything that more will ever like talk about, you know, like I talked about this in my last video that I did on it, but like uh, Swamp Thing, the, the anatomy lesson has a lot to do with like a, the hero realizing something about their own being is totally different than what they thought and the existential crisis that it puts them through. And that's a lot like Miracle Man that Moore had done. Have either of you read Miracle Man? I have. I'm planning to return to it because I read it way too early in my comic booking career. And I was yep. like, this is weird. And I put it back on the shelf. So <laughs> need to revisit. Yeah, I actually think I'm in the same boat. I think I remember picking up a copy when I was working at the library back in high school. I'm just like, I just go through the shelves and grab whenever I was working. I would, <laughs> when I had free time, I would go and just pull random comics off their shelves and be like, I'm going to take all these home, I'm going to look through all of them, and what clicks, clicks. And I opened Miracle Man, and it did not click. Because I saw Marvel on the cover, I saw the colorful superhero on the front, and I'm like, oh, this has to be really great. But I open it, and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm reading. This is, mm -hmm. this is truly bizarre. And I guess that's, yeah. you know, kind of the point of it. It's supposed to be completely the antithesis of what you would expect. Yeah, and... Um... Yeah, that's like, you know, Moore's first real big work, right? And I'm, I know people love it. I think that he got better, like, as a writer, you know, as he went on. And I think he gets better as a writer throughout Swamp Thing, too. But, I mean, obviously, the guy is super, super talented. Um, 
but yeah, so like, you know, Miracle Man's in there. Um, a little bit of Watchmen is spread throughout. He wrote Watchmen, you know, while he was in the middle of his Swamp Thing run. Um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is like sprinkled throughout there. There's all sorts of like mysticism and, and the ways that more would become like a practicing like ceremonial magician is sort of tossed throughout like a lot of uh, Swamp Thing. But I mean, this one in particular with Anatomy Lesson is really like, I, you know, more is like talked about a lot as like the deconstructionist superhero writer. Um, I think that's a little bit simplified regarding like what he actually does. Um, because I think if you look at Anatomy Lesson, it is about deconstru- like almost literally deconstructing the character. But then he goes to like such a more positive place with it that it's hard to put it in the same category as like Watchmen, where the the like the thesis of Watchmen is like you got to be pretty messed up to want to be a superhero, I think. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on just generally if you thought you liked this and how many times you read it, and if you're really regretting having me on the podcast to to read this. Oh, so in reverse order, no, definitely not regretting having you on the podcast. I have so far. So far. So far, so far. There's still time. You can still slip up. It's fine. <laughs> You're under close <laughs> watch. Um, I've read this single issue, just issue 21, more times than just about any other, definitely more than any other Swamp Thing issue, probably more than a lot of other things that I've read, because I just, horror in comics is something that doesn't click for me often, and when it does, it's something really special. I love a good story that gets under my skin. And this is perfect for that. There's not a lot of times where I can think of a single issue that's had as much an effect on a character, a universe, and just the overall trajectory of an entire storyline as this single um, issue did. It's powerful. It makes you think about it for days and weeks and months after you're finished reading it. It's something horrifying to imagine yourself in the same situation as. And it's kind of crazy. I can only think of a handful of times where a hero or a character has been changed this drastically in comics and it's actually clicked. Like the only one I was trying to think of it earlier. The only one I could think of was just like immortal Hulk. That's the Mm -hmm. only one I could think of that had any sort of semblance to this at all and had it work on the level that this did. And then Donny Cates came in and was like, so forget all that. Hulk is a spaceship. <laughs> and then he fights um, me on Twitter. And so anyway. <laughs> I'm seeing a theme here, actually, of get, yeah. you getting in fights on Twitter. Right. Well, we had, you know, I'm, I don't start the fight, but I fucking finish it. So. But you bring the chair into the ring. Yeah, yeah. I, mm-hmm. yeah. I I give him the one wig angel on the chair and that's we're done. Finished. <laughs> I always like when like you and Eric and Owen start talking about professional wrestling and I just remember my Stone Cold Steve Austin toy. I'm like, man, uh-huh. if I knew anything beyond that single action figure, I'd like to talk with my friends, but I used to be the God, what a, a detour already. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I used to be like the biggest professional wrestling fan when I was like a teenager. Mm-hmm. And then I totally fell out of it. And then a, a couple, this past couple years during the pandemic, I started watching professional wrestling again. And I, I just absolutely fell in love with it again. And for completely different reasons. Like I used to be, oh, try and get invested in the stories and try and root for someone and really be like, you know, 
I want this to happen or getting frustrated when this would happen and all that sort of stuff. And now I look at it like a performance and like, and I look at it like the performance of, of the match, the performance of the people on the microphone and like how compelling it can be telling a story, you know, this is all fiction. And when I started to look at it that way, I just, I totally fell in love with it again. Um, because it's like, I don't act, I'm not emotionally invested anymore in like who actually wins, but if they're telling me a great story and it's re- a really well-made match, then I'm totally there. So all to say, give it a try. Watch, but I, I honestly think. Watch oh, the first match between The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania. It's one of the greatest matches of all time. It's free on YouTube. Watch it. It's like a half hour match. It's one of the best mm-hmm. matches ever. You watch that. And if you like it, you're going to like professional wrestling. There you go. There's the first recommendation of the pod, everyone. So if you like Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, go and find The Undertaker on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Undertaker versus to- Shawn Michaels. I think it's WrestleMania 28. Yeah. It's pretty solid. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that's a solid point, though, about storytelling, because ultimately, like, Swamp Thing, outside of this book, prior to my reading this, wasn't particularly compelling to me. Just mm-hmm. looking at the character as a big green swamp monster. I didn't think much of it, but I picked it up knowing that I liked Alan Moore, knowing that it was supposed to be a great run. And this is now my third or fourth time through the anatomy lesson specifically, but this run made me fall in love with Swamp Thing. It made me fall in love with the kind of things you can do as a storyteller with a blank slate. And I think it's probably my favorite work from Moore. I, I do really like Alan Moore. I really love From Hell as people know from listening to the podcast but just as a whole swamp thing is what i find myself returning to i find myself referencing and comparing other long form superhero comics to i couldn't help recently while reading uh, grant morrison's doom patrol but keep thinking like oh this is just like when this was happening in swamp thing this is just like what swamp thing had to say about this and here's how it's a little bit different and so I've, I've just found that this is a bit of a measuring rod in long form superhero storytelling for me that I really appreciate and like, and I think, and I think those, I think those authors specifically also, like you weren't just reading into it. Like they were like, well, more did this with Swamp Thing. So how can I do this with? Something? Absolutely. Like Absolutely. Sandman. They... Like Sandman has Swamp Thing like all over it, especially the first half of, mm-hmm. of Sandman. And it's interesting listening to Neil Gaiman talk about Swamp Thing and Alan Moore, um, and I, I watched an interview where Gaiman talked a little bit about why Miracle Man worked so much for him. And he said that Alan Moore, for Neil Gaiman, Alan Moore was the first person that wrote comic books and was taking them seriously. He said like he looked at Alan Moore and he saw that Alan Moore was trying to write this as well as the best playwright, as well as the best novelist, as well as the best screen playwriter he had ever seen. And it helped him to take the medium seriously again as an adult. And I thought that was a really positive spin on the critiques that people like to levy at Alan Moore for making mm-hmm. things too dark and gritty, making things too self-serious. Because I, I think there's another side of that where Alan Moore put everything that he had into these pages when he was writing them. You can tell that he cares and he's taking Swamp Thing seriously. And it makes you take it seriously. Like the existential crisis of a plant finding out that it's a plant only really matters because it matters to Alan Moore. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> um, so Dallas, you said you've read the whole, you've read the whole run. I have read the whole run a few times. Yeah. 
Okay. And have you have you read the whole run? I have not read the full run. I've read the first two volumes. It's one of okay. I have this really bad habit where if I'm reading something I really like, take Sandman for example, I take my time with it. Where I'm like, I don't need to finish this right away. I'm going to let this simmer a little bit. I need to sip it. I sip it like a fine wine. Because <laughs> I know the moment I finish it, it's done. And I don't get that back. So I'm perfectly content letting some of these drag out a, a little while. So mm-hmm. I haven't gone back and revisited it in a while. But God, everything I read was just phenomenal. My only experience with Swamp Thing before I picked up that run had been the Scott Snyder New 52 run. Yeah, that was my, Which, my first Swamp Thing mm-hmm. also. <clears throat> I yeah. read that. I read Snyder's Swamp Thing before more, and uh, that's great too. It's different yeah. though; definitely different. It's it's definitely different, and the horror in it is different too. I remember because that was one of the first books I picked up. I got into the New Fifty Two back in like twenty thirteen, and I spent that entire summer going through their entire catalog of like volume ones. I was getting as much as I could mm-hmm. from the library, and when I got that one, I remember it being so drastically different than all the other the the cape shit I was reading. Mm-hmm. And just the the visual of like the fly flying into these people's ears and they were breaking their own necks and then walking around as these backwards headed zombies. <laughs> and then when he goes across the desert and there's this giant vulture zombie who's just like, I'm yeah. going to fuck you up. And I'm like, this is intense. This is some crazy shit. And I'm like, I, I love this. I thought this was great. But it was definitely more of a visceral, gory type of horror than you get in this run which is much subtler, much more innate and like inward focused. And I think Mm. I've definitely come around on it because I I have to be honest, I took a while to get into more because I was so familiar and so enamored with that Snyder run that I couldn't imagine going back. I knew that he was just a plant in this. He's just a plant who thinks he's Alec Holland. And I fell in love with Alec Holland in that Scott Snyder run. So I'm like, why would I read the story about the, the plant that thinks it's Alec Holland? Because uh, I was a dum-dum. Right, because his takes place after uh, Brightest Day, right? Yes. And Alec Mm -hmm. is resurrected to life, and then he has to choose to become Swamp Thing. So -hmm. now you have the original Alec Holland actually being Swamp Thing versus the plant that believes he's uh, Exactly. Um, Mm -hmm. Which is a great refresh on that character. Like, I mean... What's great about Swamp Thing is the flexibility of the character and that mm-hmm. um, Moore's run is really what showed it to have that flexibility. And then, <clears throat> but you do eventually have to run out of ideas, right? And, and exactly. having, changing the central dynamic like Snyder did is, is a great way to refresh, I think. Can you hear that dog? That dog <laughs> yeah. works all day. <laughs> like that. Brutal. It's down there I, i'm on the second story it's down there and it's in its backyard it's barking it's it, i think it's barking at me because <laughs> <laughs> it's talking. got some it's got some strong opinions about swamp thing it's like yeah. you're misunderstanding I'm so, I'm sorry, the character i'm sorry about that dog this is also the room that i record my videos in and i have to sometimes work around that um, that's brutal in my blanket fort i make a blanket fort Mm-hmm. And and I sit down on the ground and I hunch in front of my my microphone and I, I record my my audio. But that some, some, sometimes cuts out the dogs uh, barking. But I'm sorry <laughs> about the neighbor dog. Oh, that's okay. That was a great mental image, by the way. That was fantastic. Thank you. I'm gonna yes, go back and watch all your videos with that in mind. Mm-hmm. It really takes away the gravitas. Um, <laughs> like his prose but... is really great, but he is in a blanket fort right now, and I am yeah. aware of that. 
And that's how Alan Moore wrote Swamp Thing too. He was also in a blanket fort. <laughs> uh, um, speaking of that, speaking of Alan Moore actually writing, I was thinking about have you have you read any of his actual scripts? Because we're talking about the way that he approaches things. I read his, his Watchmen so, script. They're apparently. so crazy detailed. They're like so yeah. crazy detailed. Mm-hmm. Like. When you look at his, it's like, so the room is like this, and it has this, and it smells like this, and it's like, it evokes this, and you just blah, 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 like all this stuff for like one panel, you know? And yeah. like, it's crazy, crazy detail. And it's great. I mean, I would feel like kind of intimidated if I was like his artist, right? And like, I gotta draw that? Like, that's, that's nuts. Versus yeah. like, when you look at Tom King's scripts, he's like, panel one, boom, panel two, boom, panel three, bat. Panel four, cat. Panel five, bat. Panel six, cat. <laughs> panel seven, boom. Panel eight, boom. Panel nine, quiet, rainy window. They're like, great. I got it. I'm going to draw that. <laughs> yeah, a little different. It was interesting. I was watching some interviews with Moore, and these were like in the 80s, they were asking him, they're like, how do you actually go about writing a comic book? And it was interesting because he's like, well, He's like, I basically tell them exactly what I want to see on the page, and then they do it, and they give it back to me. And I was like, <laughs> having read your scripts, you're exactly right. That is what you do. Yeah. Like you're, and you're quite it, the micromanager. It yeah, it does help that he'd worked with uh, with Tuttlebin before. Um, mm-hmm. Tuttlebin had done some of uh, Miracle Man, and he mm-hmm. had, was on Swamp Thing for a few issues before Moore took over, so that was a nice little um, coincidence for Moore to take over. I, should we talk about the actual comic? Yeah. Yeah, let's go for it. Um, so, Anne, do you want to talk a little bit about like just the outline of what happens in these five issues and then we can maybe dive into it some more? Yeah. So the five issues start pretty brutally. This is the very start of Alan Moore's run. And what happens is Alan Moore's like everything that happened before, I'm going to quickly address that. And then, um, I'm going to go ahead and shoot my problem in the face. And that problem is Alec Holland. So... (laughs) He kind of just, we get some side characters from the last story. They kind of get just pushed to the side. He's like, this is not about them. This is about, this is about Alec right now. And Swamp Thing is kind of confronted by um, a group of armed men and is shot. And because Swamp Thing believes he's a person, he's like, oh, I should be dead now. And just kind of (laughs) kills over. And then in issue number 21, which is like the, the most famous one from the arc, he gets cut open and examined by Jason Woodrow, who is also known as the Floronic Man. And he kind of goes through with like the perspective of like a lot of comic readers where he's like, none of this makes sense. I need it to make sense. But this plant shouldn't be alive. There's no reason this plant should be walking and talking the way he is. And he finds out, oh, that's because this plant person isn't a person. It's just a plant that thinks it's a person. And the guy who hired him is like, this is perfect. Anyways, you're going back to jail. And Flotic Man's like, that's not, that's not cool. So he kind of wakes up um, Swamp Thing and Swamp Thing takes care of the problem for him because he's also kind of pissed that he's not a person. So <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the story is um him trying to come to terms with that and just realizing like, okay, so I'm not who I thought I was. I'm just this absolute monster of a being how do I move forward from this? And also in the background, we have Floronic man saying, you know what? While he's going through all this shit, I think I'm going to handle my own business and decides I'm going to kill all life on this planet. That isn't plant-based. And it gets this 
fun climax where Swamp Thing has to come and talk the science into him and say, hey, you can't do this because, um, yeah, we kind of need the animals so we can breathe. And Flonic Man's just like, oh shit, you're right. And yeah, it's it's a fun story all around. And we get to a place at the end where Swamp Thing doesn't call himself Alec Holland anymore because he's like, I'm not the person I thought I was. I'm the person I am now. And I'm going to be the best that I can be as who I am. And I think mm-hmm. that's that's pretty neat. So abridged. Yeah, You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I mean, obviously, issue 21 is like the the, the focal point and is the big mm-hmm. famous one. But I think that if we were to just, if people just focus on, if we were to just talk about the anatomy lesson, like we wouldn't get the full scope of what Moore is actually trying to say, right? Because mm-hmm. in the end, this is like a really uplifting comic, I think. Yeah. And I think that that's the general, um, the general structure of a lot of Moore's work in Swamp Thing is that the story gets really dark. It deals with some really messed up stuff, like crazy stuff happens. And then at the end, like the, the conclusion and the way that like Swamp Thing and the other characters work through it is actually very uplifting. Mm -hmm. Like the way that he will, well, like, especially here, you know, I mean, if we're jumping, if I can jump like to the very end, you know, Swamp Thing has uh, defeated Woodrow. And what's really interesting here in his, a common theme throughout the rest of the run is that it's not violence that defeats the mm-hmm. villain that defeats like the antagonist. Um, and a lot of this run, like it has an antagonist, but it's never really about beating the villain except for maybe a few issues like an- anything with Anton Arcane really. Um, but there's so much about knowledge, enlightenment, understanding yourself is what defeats what the obstacle. Right. And so like, the truth and, and making Woodrow understand. And by the way, I love that Woodrow, Jason Woodrow begins to call himself Woodrow as mm-hmm. when he's changed, when he's like embraced the green, he's not, I'm Woodrow. I'm not Jason Woodrow. I'm Wood dash um, which is a great little tiny little change to that character. Um, but you know, he, he enlightens him and then he like runs off screaming mad and is, is eventually captured. <clears throat> But at the end of issue 24, you have Swamp Thing embracing his his enlightenment, right? It's mm-hmm. no longer about the uh, existential horror of the, the comic and of Swamp Thing, but is about the other side to enlightenment. And at the end, mm-hmm. you know, just a little bit, he says, you know, he's talking about everything. He's reflecting on nature around him. And he says, I want to walk here forever. I want to struggle with the alligators turning over and over in the mud. I want to be alive and grow and rise up. And then obviously the super famous panel of him arms up the sun rising, you know, after gorgeous, he's, it's amazing. It's such a great, and mm-hmm. the, uh, like it's the complete opposite of earlier in the, in the series when he's rooted himself to the swamp. And he's like on his back, almost upside down. And the water is like catching in his eyes and his mouth and everything. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's the great, you know, uplift to the story. So I really, really appreciate that. Because the, I'd say the comic as a whole <clears throat> is about like this acceptance of who Swamp Thing is. And Swamp Thing's like self-acceptance, right? And yeah. you get, Swamp Thing dies, uh, this is, I guess this is a bit of a spoiler. Swamp Thing dies a lot. Uh, in this comic, um, 
And every time he dies, he unlocks like another part of himself. So, you know, what is it? There's this one. There's, um, he's killed off by this guy named, uh, named Nukeface. It's not, it's a, it's a weird, it's, it's, Nukeface is a hobo that drinks radioactive waste. He sure does. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Swamp Thing separates his soul from his own body at one point and goes to hell. And then uh, the last time is when he's, he's killed in Gotham and you think he's dead, dead. But every time um, he unlocks more potential about himself. And it's interesting, like you're talking about, how is it reading this again in light of all the other issues? It's interesting because like this is such a huge key to the character. But as a reader looking at Swamp Thing, it's like you don't even know the half of it yet, Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. Like crazy shit is coming for you. There is a, <laughs> There have been hundreds of you and they're all waiting to meet you. Uh, you're going to go to outer space. Um, you know, you're going to uh, go to hell. Uh, you're going to fight Batman and win really easily. Um, <laughs> uh, with a great, a great thing. Yeah. Small spoiler, he didn't have prep Batman, time. It's, it's <clears throat> fine. But he did. No, no, he did. And he still <laughs> kicked his ass so hard. Um, it's a great, he, he, Batman shows up in this giant Batmobile with like, blades to like chop away all the plants that Swamp Thing's built in Gotham. Of course. And he brings mm-hmm. out defoliant and he sprays them with it. And Swamp Thing builds like a dozen of himself and they just all like they just beat on him. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's 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 fantastic. But um so I you know I love this and I think that Moore had said that um the act of killing off Swamp Thing and then bringing him back to life gave him to claim the character as his own. Um, so it's a lot of this is the death of the old self and the birth of, of mm-hmm. the new self. Um, and I love that. I think that's, it's a fantastic sort of arc and I'm done rambling. No, I agree. I, it's such a clean way to, to give the revamp that they want to swamp thing. Because even when you look at the art between issues 20 and 21, you get the subtle redesign of swamp thing, mm-hmm. right? He's a really muscular green monster in issue 20 and then he becomes a living ecosystem in issue 21 mm-hmm. with just yeah, I love that. a single panel. And you get to see them very deftly switch it all around on you and say, this is going to be your new status quo. And it doesn't feel abrupt. Like being removed from this issue for a while, I was curious to come back and like giving it to Alexis. I was like, is this comic just good because I've been told it's good my whole life? Or like, will this single issue actually explain well what's going on? Yeah. And, and I, then she I genuinely left. think it does. She bounced. Yeah, and then she bounced. We'll never know because she was like, <laughs> oh, I'm not coming <laughs> to read Swamp <laughs> Thing on your show. Swamp um, Thing? I don't think so. Uh, I, don't, hmm. I don't think so. And then she left. She said, um, I heard this was an Alec Holland podcast. I'm out of here. <laughs> You know, it's, um, it's, yeah. f- sorry, um, you mentioned the the, change, the subtle changes in the art and the character design between issues 20 and 21, and that made me go back and just relook at it, and I realized one of the most unsettling parts of issue 21 for me has always been Swamp Thing's eyes, mm-hmm. and I realized just looking back, it's such a small thing, but in 2020, when he's more human, he's more monster-like, his eyes are like perfectly um, symmetrical, per- perfectly ocular, he looks just like a normal person with normal eyes. He even has kind of pupils and like, it it makes sense. But then you go into 21 and his eyes are like irregularly shaped. 
they've kind of got like moss growing over them and they just have this inhuman quality that like changes drastically how the character meets you eye to eye on the page from one issue to the next and i think that's that's something really cool yeah i he love just that looks... and yeah he looks he looks like a swamp right is that what you're gonna say oh yeah yeah I was gonna say, he just looks scraggly like mm-hmm. when there's a little line from abby where she's like i just saw a bug in his arm i was yeah. like there's a lot going on in that guy <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's another thing that's revealed uh, is like the living ecosystem within Swamp Thing that happens after this. And like, mm-hmm. there's one where he finds like a dead animal and he like subsumes it into himself, like mm-hmm. in a later issue um, to like nurture everything that's in him. Um, and I think what's so interesting is there's a lot of, con- there's a constant sense of body horror also that's happening. Mm-hmm. And especially in these issues. And, you know, um, part of the great thing about um, this whole run is that, in these early issues, you are kind of skeeved out by a swamp thing, you know, mm-hmm. seeing all the bugs and everything living in him. And what does that mean? And you're like, Oh, this is, this guy's gross. And then you become more acquainted with him and you, you love him and you just accept all that. And you're like, yeah, that's, that's just swamp thing. Um, and I, I love that. And it's part of the reason also why I don't think that character quite works in live action. You know, they had the swamp thing TV show and they had some movies Um and it is just a guy in a costume and you can make it kind of, you know, fuzzy and, and add stuff to it. But in the end, he looks super like solid, right? You're like, oh, that's a guy, mm-hmm. you know, in rubber and stuff. He doesn't. Whereas like if you were to actually see Swamp Thing, you know, in the way that he's designed here, you'd be like, I could like he's really solid, but I could like shove my hand like into him. And like there's yeah. like, stuff like mm-hmm. coming off of him and like the way that he kind of like he is scraggly and there's all sorts of bits and pieces and he's constantly like changing shape. And you know, in later issues, he's constantly regrowing new bodies and they're always like changing also their dynamics. And I mean, I think the, one of the big points of the run is that like who a person is, is not their body. You know, mm-hmm. it's not something that, that has been like, just like set in stone about them, but it's, it's their soul. It's, it's their whole personhood. And when Swamp Thing is constantly regrowing himself around the world or he goes into outer space, you're like, in, in the outer space issues, he's his spirit is captured and there's like there's like seven like circular like images these symbols they're like the seven chakras Mm -hmm. and you're like that's actually the essence of swamp thing that's it's not the body it's like it's that i think it's really interesting it is really interesting and it's interesting as well to like to to place that within the ecosystems of these bodies because i mean watching uh doug from the YouTube channel for every kind of geek. He sent me Hold up. Are you mentioning another YouTube channel while I am on the podcast? Holy shit. We talked oh, about I'm this. So, I'm sorry. Oh, this I'm is so sorry. This, oh, it was right in the contract. I'm sorry. Um, I'll let you continue. You can keep going. Finish your thought. So he sent me over the documentary Monsters, Maniacs, and More. It's a 30-minute mm-hmm. thing that Alan Moore did right at the end of the 80s going into the 90s. And he talks a lot about how with Swamp Thing, he wanted to make people care about the planet and he wanted mm-hmm. to show the power of the planet. And I think that creating an ecosystem within Swamp Thing sells that really well. You know, because like you said, there's the part where he places the dead animal himself to nourish what's going on. You get to see this little walking, talking version of what the larger comic is trying to say we need to protect. 
right? Like I care about Swamp Thing. I care about his well-being. And he is a stand-in for how you, the reader, should feel about the planet all around. And I think as, as much as it's not about Woodrow and defeating Woodrow as a superhero, I, it was really evocative to have him pick up the chainsaw in issue 24 mm-hmm. and say, I'm going to do to you what you've done to the plants. Like, I'm, go- mm-hmm. I'm just going to treat you how you treat the planet. And Swamp Thing defeats Woodrow. That doesn't end up happening. But even Swamp Thing says, like, I've told the green to leave you alone and not to treat you this way. I wonder if you will do the same. Like, I wonder if you're going to learn yeah. anything from this. And I love that bit with the chainsaw. Evangeline, I'd like to, mm-hmm. I'd like you to meet Evangeline. It's a really cool moment. And the guy, of course, gets like, I mean, maybe he's dead. I'm not entirely sure. But um, yeah. And then I, I love all that. The Woodrue is like the, the angry voice of, of the planet, right? But he doesn't mm-hmm. really understand because he's like, oh, I think the planet is telling me to kill everyone. But that's not actually true. And then especially when you meet the Parliament of Trees and you understand the green better, it's like, no, they would never actually say that. I think it's his own like issues, like all the like, yeah. interpreting everything that he's hearing. Well, I think a lot of the anatomy lesson is about how Swamp Thing centers himself. And throughout the run, mm-hmm. you can see his goal is to bring balance wherever he is. He doesn't yeah. care so much about a winner and a loser. He wants things to be balanced. He wants things to feel right. Mm-hmm. And all of that is set up really well as he... He begins to feel right and balanced about himself and his perception of body, soul, and mind. And I think it's it's great to get everything in him right so he can go out and try and make the world right going through mm-hmm. the rest of the run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that makes sense that he's the character to do it because whether or not he is Alec Holland, he still has that connection. He still feels like he's part of two worlds, so he wants that to for himself because that's all that he knows. He still has that attachment to the human world and he understands that what's best for everyone is best for both of them. Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately it's really interesting that it's, it's Abigail Arcane that pulls him out of this, right? In issue 22, their relationship isn't touched on so much in the issues we covered, but she is a, a very compelling co-lead to the rest of this run. Mm-hmm. I think her relationship with Swamp Thing is one of my favorite in comics. And I, I thought it was really touching that, over the course of his existential dread, what what pulled him out was her, his relationships yeah. with others, specifically her. Yeah. It was finding an anchor in his life. And I feel like that was something I could latch on to as well. That mm-hmm. in moments of self-discovery, in moments of feeling unanchored, it helps to be able to reach out to the people around me, right? To be able to touch on to tangible relationships. And I thought that was, that was a great moment of truth from Alan Moore. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good moment for the audience too, to kind of remind you that, Hey, just because the character has shifted and we understand more about him now, it doesn't mean he's a different character. Those attachments that you've come to know and enjoy, they're still there. He's still going to be the character that you enjoy just with new layers to him. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's important when you're making a huge shift like this. Yeah, definitely. It, I mean, it's interesting that um, at the time when Alan Moore came on, he had replaced Martin Pascal, uh, who, mm-hmm. you know, um, Len Wein and Bernie Wrightson created Swamp Thing like years before in like just like a few short stories. Um, and it was actually with, um, I'm blanking on the original name, Alex Olson was the name of, of Swamp Thing in that. And then, you know, they brought it back later in this and they did a few more. 
then Martin Pasco came on and the comic was selling really poorly and was going to get canceled. So that's why Len Wein, you know, he brought over more from his UK work and was like, how about Swamp Thing? You can do whatever you want with it, right? Because it was probably going to get canceled, so you might as well go with it. Of course, it didn't, you know, more revitalized it. But it's nice to have for him to have that freedom. And it's, I think it's, I mean, it's obviously easier to, um, to change something so fundamental about a character that no one's reading. Um, when it's like, okay, yeah, you can do X, Y, and Z. But still, he keeps like that core tenet of the character. Um, but yeah, I also think it's, it's, I mean, like I said, Swamp Thing is such like a, um, like a crucial moment, like in DC comics and comics in general. Um, but it's all because, you know, he was just like, yeah, do it, do what you want. Yeah. And it's, I really it's, in, it's interesting how many things spin out of this comic book. I mean, you even get mm. the beginnings of Vertigo comics because this is occurring. You get so much of what DC would become comes from yeah. the the seriousness that Moore brought to Swamp Thing. I think mm-hmm. Watchmen often get cited alongside The Dark Knight Returns. It's like, this was the turning point of comics. But I think a lot of the groundwork that went in to even make Watchmen a possibility is occurring here in Swamp Thing. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, no, I mean, if Moore is not on Swamp Thing and he doesn't have success and doesn't show what he can do with a character then he doesn't get like all that free reign and open things up. And yeah. Um, after the last issue in this, um, the next issue, issue 25 is when Karen Berger comes on as the editor. And uh, I mean, if you're familiar with, with comics and with, with general this side, Karen Berger is responsible for the British invasion of comics. She's responsible for creating vertigo. Um, she's this huge, you know, figurehead in comic books. Mm-hmm. And it's because, um, volume the, the end of this volume and then volume two, which and you said you, you read is um, love and death when when uh, they go to hell and because of the things that were depicted, um, Berger was like they're not going to let us you know have these things in the comic if we publish under the Comics Code Authority. So she said, screw it, we'll just publish without CCA approval, and it was a, a success. And while they did publish some more Swamp Thing under CCA, eventually they were like, we're just going to publish without it. And because of that, Berger was so successful, you know, she brought over Gaiman and she brought over Morrison and Garth Ennis, and then she found, founded Vertigo. And that's where, you know, Swamp Thing and Sandman were going on before Vertigo. And they moved over into Vertigo. And, you know, because of Vertigo, you know, it's, you get this model of like creator led, like really like independent work, even, you know, within the DC model. And because of that, you get image comics and then you change everything. So Berger, I mean, while she's not in here, I mean, she's super important to Swamp Thing, generally speaking. But yeah, again, Swamp Thing, super important. It really is. It's it's fun to see him, to see Alan Moore care a lot in Swamp Thing as well. And like to not quite have that streak <laughs> of nihilism yet, if that makes sense. Like, because... With Swamp Thing, he's I feel like he's talking about a lot of the same things he ends up talking about with Dr. Manhattan and the idea of the superhero, the the Uberman, the Superman, right? And in Swamp Thing, it ends up being this can be a very heroic, hopeful hero. And I, I don't think that was always his perception of the superhero. And so yeah. it's it's this fun sweet spot where you get to see 
oh, this makes sense. This is the guy that wrote those Superman stories I ended up liking. But you can also mm-hmm. see why he goes on to, to write more comics that I like, but that are much have a much different view on yeah. a character like Swamp Thing. Um, there's an interview with him during like the first half of Swamp Thing. I'm not sure if you read this one, if you watched this one, he's like against like an all blue background. Yeah. He and drags a cigarette. Says, really like, cool. One. Yeah. And then he <laughs> says like, I'm so, I'm so thankful to DC comics and Karen Berger for everything they've let me do. And I'm like, ah, that's ironic. You're going to hate them. Um, <laughs> but, um, it's interesting to see him before that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, his um this is like another tangent but the relationship with with abby right which is right here i mean it's interesting because abby's like alec like i love you so much and and you know the best person i've ever known you're like your husband he's right he's right there he's right over there i know he's (laughs) i know he's a lady yeah, I know he sucks and he's gonna suck worse. And then he becomes, you know, he becomes Matthew the Raven in Sandman. Um, but he's right there, and you're hugging the the swamp monster right in front of him and telling, saying that he's the best person. Um, but the 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 relationship between Abby and Alec, or Abby and Swamp Thing, is really interesting because I think that I talked about this in the last video that I did is that Swamp Thing is a really queer book. Like, and it becomes more and more evident as, as you press, as you press into um, their relationship, right? Because Swamp Thing is not a man and he, he is mm-hmm. genderqueer, you know, when you really see it and Swamp Thing is, um, you know, he has this relationship with Abby and their sex is psychedelic sex. You know, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it defies like, you know, gender norms and then when they're in gotham uh the abby is charged with crimes against nature and they're prosecuted because of her relationship with someone that doesn't you know conform Mm -hmm. to to gender normativity um i think that's really fascinating and you just get a little bit of a hint of it there but i think it's a really important thing within all swamp thing um and then something that isn't really talked about is that alan moore was in uh, a thruple with his wife and 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 another woman who was both of their lovers and his wife and and the the other woman left him and took their children like at the end of the 80s and that's not really talked about but that's like like there's a lot more going on with him regarding like his own like approach to sexuality huh yeah i did not know i that's a that's like a george marston situation going on that's that's interesting Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not really talked about, but I don't know. Any thoughts? Those are random, random Swamp Thing thoughts. I've as as my no. my brain has been soaking in Swamp Thing for a long time. <laughs> these things kind of come out. No, no, that's it's interesting. I hadn't considered, which is funny because I I normally pick up on that a lot easier. I didn't consider the queer angle before. I'm gonna hmm. I'm interested to read the rest of the run with that in mind. So thank you for that. Yeah, it pushes <laughs> a lot more into it as it goes. Okay. Awesome. I really Good. like the central theme of like you are not necessarily your body. You know, I think mm-hmm. it can it can apply to a lot of different people in different situations. Mm-hmm. But just this idea of finding your central self being so important in Swamp Thing, and be, you get to see Swamp Thing change all throughout 
the run over and over again, but you, he only becomes more and more sure of who he is regardless of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And it's fun to see that journey. Like it's almost as his relationship with his body becomes like looser and looser. It seems that his relationship with himself becomes stronger throughout the run. And it's interesting to see that. You know, like in these stories when he's having his whole like existential crisis and he's within his own mind and he's like encountering Alec and and his, his wife and like everything. And he's seeing like all those, you know, hallucinations, right. All the, the, the meat being eaten and stuff like that. Like that's all in his head, but he's almost like losing himself. And then eventually mm-hmm. this is a character that is literally going to go separate from his body. He's going to go into the afterlife and he's going to go to hell. He's going to go to space. He's going to regrow himself, but he doesn't lose himself anymore. And like that worry of like Swamp Thing, like losing his, himself becomes less and less of a worry, even though it becomes more and more literal, actually what he's going through, because all this is just in his mind. But eventually it's, he, he is actually like communing with the earth and with the world and with, you know, different realms of existence. And it's really cool. I was meaning to ask both of you what you thought about the art because rereading it, I've always thought that the art is really good, but it's also like very much of its time. It's very scratchy and, and they, um, they really like break apart like panel structure. Like everything feels like a collage almost. And some, to me, some of the issues, even rereading it was like, oh, which panel do I read next? Like, which, where am I going? And sometimes get a little bit lost. But yeah, I'd like to know both, both of your opinions. It, it was, I do a lot of like cutting out panels, like for my videos. Can't even imagine. That's hell. That is hell <laughs> for, for these comics. Yeah. I was thinking, because I like to kind of promote the comics we're reading on my Twitter feed while we're going through them. It's hard to find panels to post to this where it doesn't look like the image is very obviously just like not completely there. Where it's like, I want this part to be the focus, but there's so much more going on in the background. There's just, it's like white noise trying to find a single moment to pinpoint. So yeah, I couldn't imagine what you're going through just trying to pinpoint it for a video. It's, it's interesting. It makes it a hassle just trying to read it digitally because on one hand i'm glad the digital copies have that roadmap that takes you where you need to go next when you need to go there but it's also it's just a lot to take in and i feel like this is a book that's probably best experienced in print for anyone listening that hasn't checked it out yet definitely check this book out in print before you check it out digitally because i think you're gonna have a better experience i would also add try to get the paperbacks that have the original coloring. Yes, that's a good point. I really do not like the coloring on the absolutes. No, I, I saw a little a bit. I was like, I, I looked at it. I was like, what have you done? Like, this is a crime yeah. against nature. It's um, like, I get wanting to update things and make them like higher quality, higher resolution. But the colors they used for this day were made with a certain page type in mind. Were made with the, the line art in mind. So it just naturally fits better. It, when you try to yeah. change that around, it has a different effect. I know I, they did a little bit of that lightly on the like Sandman for more mm-hmm. recent collections, but I didn't mm-hmm. notice it too much. It wasn't as like extreme. The only one that I really liked that has done that was when they reprinted Walt Simonson's Thor in an omnibus, and I really liked the recoloring. Um, but I'm a huge mark for Walt Simonson's Thor, so I'll just be happy with anything. Yeah, like but don't I've, don't read I, the Sandman. They, they don't read the Swamp Thing recolor. It's terrible. No. I've seen complaints about the Simonson Thor recolors, but I I read it with the reprint the first time, so I was like, I just I don't get it. I liked it. I thought it was yeah. pretty. It's all I know. 
Um, but speaking of the art, I think I think the scratchiness looks great on Swamp Thing. Like there are no solid images of Swamp Thing that I don't love in this. Especially, I'm looking at the last page of issue twenty three when Swamp Thing confronts Woodrow for the first time. And he just says, Woodrow, no more. And you get this front look and this back look of Swamp Thing. And it's marvelous. Like I, I stared at these pages for probably five minutes today, just tracing the lines along Swamp Thing, seeing this ecosystem that Bissette and Tottle Ben were creating here. And yeah. I... Especially the, the smaller left-hand panel. The focus on on his face mm-hmm. there, it's like iconic. I think they used that for one of the covers of the Absolute Editions, but him you know, kind of coming out of the the leaves and everything, so cool. And I I think I, the and use I of, love that there's a there's a little uh, branch across his his butt crack to make modest. sure that it fit with. You the, must uh, be tasteful, a tasteful yeah, like, swamp ass. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, editorial well, actually came in well, and it, put a white bikini on him to cover it up. <laughs> Specifically, he does taste uh, like lime. So, you know, delicious. Just, just FYI, FYI, that's canon. Swamp Thing tastes like lime. <laughs> Swamp Thing on the rocks. Um, <laughs> I really, I like the use of shadow when they're coloring Swamp Thing specifically. I think there are times with the human characters that there's a lot of cross hatching that happens to create depth and shadow that doesn't always work for me with the thin line that the two artists use. But I mean, at the end of the day, I'm here to look at Swamp Thing and I think they do an excellent, excellent Swamp Thing. Yeah. it's Everyone else is maybe a little ugly, right? Tiny bit. Yeah. But I mean, this is a horror comic and it really does work. If this was like, I don't know if this was more of a classic superhero comic or like, um, like a classic romance comic it wouldn't really work, but I think it works really mm. well. Um, yeah. I'd love to hear both of your opinions on the character of Jason Woodrow, um, because he is just as in focus throughout this entire thing as, as Swamp Thing. He's, he's the co-lead basically. And I think he's go. a really, I, I think he's a really interesting, um, I complain a lot in the MCU about how the bad guy is just a worse version of the good guy. Mm-hmm. And, but I think that really works for Jason. Woodrow. But, but his, but, but the guy's armor was also like Iron Man's, but bigger. See, see, <laughs> see, but Woodrow's smaller. So we're going we're big. You know, it's big brain when we go smaller. Mm, that's more, it. that's more right there. He looked and he said, how could I do Ant-Man number one, but in Swamp Thing? You can really <laughs> exactly. see the Ant-Man influence in Swamp Thing. If I was if I was watching this as a movie, I'd be like, so bad guy going to be twice as big, right? And then it'd be Jason Woodrow, it'd be small. I'd be like, hey, yo, that's crazy. <laughs> the, the one-liners coming off of Swamp Thing, insane. And I really he, like the part. I'm sorry, he, he speaks too slowly. He speaks too slowly for the one-liners to work. All those ellipses, you know. <laughs> he has a lot of trouble getting the words out from the green. Hey, you like, know, I saw a new shawarma place. We need to check out. <laughs> Something weird would happen, and the joke would be he would say, Did that just happen? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's comedy. 
You got to fire it off real fast. I think the most important part, though, is when John Constantine shows up in the middle and says, you don't know me yet, but boy, are you going to love the sequel to Swamp Thing. John Constantine, welcome to the cinematic universe called Vertigo. When he shows up, when he shows up in the post-credits, right? Smoking a cigarette and he's played by Keanu Reeves again. And the audience would be like, oh my God, I know who that is. And then everybody goes to Twitter and they're like, do you think they're going to introduce Sandman? And everyone's like, don't fall for another Mephisto. They're like, Sandman confirmed for Swamp Thing 2. I want to talk to you about the Justice League Dark Initiative. Oh no. Detective Chimp comes crawling out. (laughs) (laughs) The third time that they try to make a Justice League Dark movie, right? Only the third? It was Guillermo del Toro was going to make a Justice League Dark movie. Yes. And then, um, what's his name? Doug Liman was going to make a Justice League Dark movie. Yep. Mm -hmm. I think they need to pull Peter Jackson to come into it. If I've learned anything, if Guillermo del Toro says, I want to do this, and you tell him no, and then bring Peter Jackson on, you're going to see some great stuff. He's really going to like it. They'll say, all right, then uh, we'll make it into uh, three uh, three hour movies. And uh, no one's yeah. going to really like it, but, you know, make a lot of money. <laughs> uh, got uh, 200 pages of material here. It's uh, nine hours of movie. <laughs> That's great. I love it. Okay. Okay. Uh, and your turn. Your New Zealand impression. Go ahead. Spitter. No. Is that Taika Waititi I hear? You know what? I respect your personhood and you do not need to do it for me. Or Thank Dallas. you. Don't let My Dallas accents are awful. I need uh, practice. But so I think the, the MCU villain, villainification of Jason Woodrow is interesting because I don't hate it. Like, I usually hate what's going on, but I thought that he was a really interesting counterpoint to Al Cullen because he was still the man mm-hmm. trying to be the plant, right? He was what, prior to the anatomy lesson, Alec Holland supposedly was. And we can see that that connection isn't quite there. And we can see why it's important that Swamp Thing is truly a part of the green. He's a part of this ecosystem that he's trying to protect. Mm-hmm. And I think it was really a smart literalization of the existential crisis that he had just overcome to then again say, no, I am Swamp Thing. I am this plant and I'm going to overcome now more literally a man pretending to be a plant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause that's, that's exactly it. I, <laughs> I wish I had more to add. It's just, he is the Woodrow is the person trying to be something he's not. Swamp Thing is the person learning to be the thing that he is simple yeah, as perfect. yeah it's a it's a perfect dynamic um mm-hmm. and uh Woodrow kind of becomes really pathetic like at the end right yeah. when he sprays yeah. himself with the fake skin oh again. my gosh yeah he's like hello hi uh, how do you do fellow, yeah. fellow adults fellow, <laughs> <laughs> yeah fellow fellow humans uh, uh don't mind these these abomination looking ears <laughs> on the side of my head that's just how I normally look. Um, yeah. Yeah. He does. Uh, it was only uphill for the Floronic Man after this. That's why he was in Batman and Harley Quinn. So, yeah, he was doing only only bangers after this. <laughs> only bangers. Yeah. He does show up one more time in Swamp Thing. Just a, it's mm-hmm. a brief one. Um, it's a nice little connection. You know, most people kind of move out of Swamp. Like when the character's done, they're like dead or crazy. 
or dead mm-hmm. and crazy um, in hell. Uh, they're kind of moved yeah. away mm-hmm. a lot, but he does show up one more time. It's a cool little little button, right on on Jason Woodrow. I think it's nice. And then he shows up in Man and Harley Quinn, which I believe is a movie. It's it's cinema. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, uh, Harley Quinn farts in it, so you know it's fine. It right. sounds like a solid movie. <laughs> Yeah, um, uh, I, Bat- Batman says it smells like justice. Wait, so is <laughs> that the is actual okay, line is, in the movie? Is this is this the Batman and Harley Quinn that was made by Bruce Tim? Yes. Or okay, which yes. I believe was an outlet for his and Eric Radomski's fetishes. As um, is everything that he does. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know they really they let him off of Kids WB and that guy he went he went wild <laughs> he went <laughs> he went evil horny it was not fun. <laughs> No one is having fun. <laughs> there are people that need editors, and uh, Bruce Tim is a person that needs an editor. <laughs> Someone is saying, you know, "No, Alan Moore is a person that needs an editor too." And I think that yes. one of the difficult things I've I noticed that with like someone like Alan Moore, who became a giant in comic books, is that after like 1987, he's Alan Moore. Like, are you gonna edit Alan Moore? Are you going to tell him what he can and can't do? He's Alan Moore. He wrote Watchmen, right? And mm-hmm. then you read some of his later stuff and you're like, you need an editor. Like, this is not quite working. Like, I read League of Extraordinary Gentlemen Black Casebook. And I never will again. Um, it just didn't It didn't work. Um, but at this point, like, he is working within the, the confines of, like, this is, a, this is a canonical DC comic book. But how can you work within that? And there's a lot of space within that. Like I said, like he was allowed to kind of do what he wanted, um, but it really works. And I think he worked well with Len Wein. He worked well with Karen Berger. And, but it's nice to see him like the lines are really far set apart. Right. But he's still coloring within, within the lines. And, and I, I like that. I like that too. Um, do we feel like we're ready to move towards some of our listener questions or do we have some more things we want to say? I, I think so. Um, All right. Yeah. You know, yeah, we just um, about covered one of the most important DC comics ever, so no pressure. <laughs> Perfect. Nothing, no biggie. Um, Swamp Thing Good. Mm-hmm. Swamp Thing Good, mm-hmm. yeah. I like that. I think that about wraps it up. Um, we, we didn't go on any Grant Morrison tangents, though. Listen, That's... we can go on a Grant Morrison tangent if Hold we on. want oh, wait, to. Wait, wait. You know what? Forget the Grant Morrison tangent. I want to go on a Neil Gaiman tangent. Okay? Let's change you... it up. You and Anne can go on a Neil okay. Gaiman tangent. We're going to go on a Neil Gaiman. We're going to go on a Neil Gaiman tangent right now. I'm with you. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. How much of Sandman have you read? Seven volumes. Seven volumes. What is Sandman volume seven? <laughs> Hold on. Oh, I'm going to look it up. It was the I- miscellaneous volume. God damn. It. I have <laughs> read up to Orpheus. So the end of the first omnibus. San- would. That's an amazing story. Did you like it? It was. It was very good. Okay, so Brief Lives. Um, I This is... Well, I gotta look up what's in Brief Lives. Because, personally speaking, the um, the short stories of Sandman are my favorite stuff. I don't know how mm-hmm. you feel about it. What do you, what yeah. do you think, generally? 
generally, I think the longer arcs are fun, but it's always going to be the single standalone issues that stick with me. Like, I love issue seven where death shows is seven or eight where death shows up for the first time. I like the issue yeah. where he has his immortal friend that he comes back and talks to every hundred years. It's yeah, that's right, where the fun right, stuff happens. Right. I think Dallas is of the same opinion. Yeah, I am also a short story guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was the stuff because like sand like like swamp thing by alan moore gaiman used horror right right at first to really be Mm -hmm. his like his entry point into the story that he was telling and that first volume first couple volumes are really really horror heavy and sometimes they'll come back to it and they'll Mm -hmm. be more horror heavy but i felt like the best sandman stuff and this is why a lot of the short stories for me work really well is when they're not horror centric same right yeah like I love the Corinthian as much as the next person, but it's just it it's a a lot of story and not as many memorable moments for me. I definitely think it's the I, weakest I, part of Sandman. The um it's funny because I wasn't a big fan of the Corinthian. Really? But I really like spoilers, Corinthian two. So when that happens, I'm like I'm like, this is my guy. Like, what's going on? Like suddenly I like <laughs> this, but um not a real spoiler, because uh, and I just, I, Gaiman is, is so much about like the, the nature of story, right? Like even more so than, even more so than Moore or Morrison. I think that Gaiman is really pushing into like mythology and the idea of storytelling and the meaning of story um, that will sort of be um, defining, it, it's what he's pushing into. Mm-hmm. Whereas, Morrison uses story to define like human transcendence to some degree. Right. Mm-hmm. And Moore uses story to sort of redefine like the, what we're actually like trying to understand about ourselves as humans, maybe, but Gaiman uses story and like, is actually like, pushing into like the nature of story, mm-hmm. like how we like pass on through generations and stuff. Um, so brief lives, well, there's like 10 volumes of the main story or 11. I think, I think 11. Yeah. Yeah. Um, personally, I really liked the story as it got closer to the end. Mm-hmm. Like the la- last, the second half I loved. Right. And I actually enjoyed the first half more in retrospect after having finished it. Cause awesome. I don't know. Did you like, cause I, I know that a lot of people say like, once you get to the death volume, it's like that's great that's a great story and then it gets better but even after that i was like still iffy what did i'm you i've been loving it since i think since the moment i finished volume one because i i tried picking this up very early on and i just couldn't get into it for just some reason mm-hmm. like it was i think it was the art i just couldn't get into but when i revisited it and i got through that first arc and i got to the issue with death i think that was the moment where it clicked for me that this could be something really special yeah. And since then, it keeps giving me those moments where it's like, I'll read through it and it's solid, but then I'll get to those special moments. And I'm reminded like, okay, this is why I'm still going. This is what it, this is what it's yeah. about. And this is why everyone talks about it. So it's, it's interesting to hear you say that once you get to the end, those other parts look better in retrospect. Yeah, I really do think so. And so, okay, you have three volumes left. World's End, Kindly Ones, and The Wake. Ten out, I give 10 out of 10 for all three of those. And I'm harsher on this series than it seems you are. 10 out of 10 for all this. Got it. Okay. Um, Well, I guess I'm going to be reading that this week. Because we got to (laughs) finish that anyway, Dallas. We do. I think the three of us should come together and 
talk about Sandman because like I will finish it as well if we're finishing mm-hmm. it because I I have the second half left. Okay. Yep. Done. Make and then I'll have to do my research on Gaiman so I can <laughs> prove my I know what I'm talking about. Uh, how for both of you? How much have you read of his stuff like outside of Sandman? I'm a good my, lot. She's read more than I have. I'm on my third Gaiman novel right now. I'm reading his Norse mythology right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. I I'm really enjoying it. It's it's really fun. It's got. I was worried it wouldn't have his same voice because it's just telling stories, but mm-hmm. it absolutely still does have Gaiman's voice, and it's yeah. very fun. I just finished um, Anansi Boys for the first time a couple weeks ago. It was so good. Yeah, I really like that one too. I found it's funny because I was really like frustrated with that story at the beginning when his really? life completely falls apart because of his oh, brother. Okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and just frust- just frustrated with the characters, right? Mm-hmm. And then, but I really I really loved it. Um, what have I read? Anansi Boys, American Gods, Hell Yeah, Coral, mm-hmm. Coraline, Graveyard mm-hmm. Book, Neverwhere. Um, quite a few short stories. Yeah, I haven't t- yeah, a lot of tapped into a short story stuff yet. It's good. Yeah, it's good. It's. I think that he's probably stronger as a longer form writer, mm-hmm. but they're fun. Um, okay, cool. Have you read Have you read American Gods? Yes, I have several times. Okay, yeah, I, yeah. Oh, Dallas, you haven't read it. I have. Dallas, I love yeah. American Gods. Dallas it's, is gonna love it. He's gonna adore it. It's next on my list. Yeah, guaranteed. Equal parts, equal parts, mythic and trashy. That's and that, that sounds like exactly <laughs> what I like. Someone is swallowed by. I'm not. Let's not talk about it. Uh, <laughs> I actually know. I know that it one. is the is way go, to go. It is the. All, all I'm saying if is, go you power. die. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is the way to go. I agree. Um, Batman could never, yeah. frankly. He's safe from no, that. Never. Yeah. But um, it's interesting to read Sandman in the context of like reading a lot of game and stuff beforehand because I think it really familiarized myself with his like proclivities, like the ways that he, the things that he focuses on, like in the story and his characters and stuff like that. Um, so I think maybe my frustration with Sandman, like in the first like few volumes was like, this doesn't like feel like what you're into. And then I think mm-hmm. that he really loosened up and was like, Oh wait, this is the stuff that I really like. And actually today I bought um, a vo- the volume of, um, of death where he did a couple um, short store, like, like four, two, four issue stories about death. So I'm looking forward to reading that. Those are two of my absolute favorite series of all time. Those awesome. are my favorite things. The Gaiman's probably my favorite things Gaiman's ever written right behind like um, the house at the end of the lane. They are just phenomenal works of literature, in my opinion. Cool. Well, I'm really looking forward to, to yeah. reading those. Not to hype them up too much, but they, they really spoke to me on a personal level. So... <laughs> Just, just a little hyped. Just like just ultra slightly. mega hyped about like, yeah, these are the greatest things of, of all time. If, but you know, no if pressure. you don't like them, come to me and we'll talk about it. <laughs> well, if you do want me on for a Sandman, I'd be happy to do it. We but should if, do if it. If I've if if it needs to be a couple a couple years before I'm back on, just to let it cool off, to to <laughs> wash the taste of this podcast recording from your mouth, I also understand. We can. We'll consult Alexis. We'll be like, so when's the next time you want to take off and run away from the podcast? So, so I'm going to need you to read 80 issues this week. <laughs> um, they're pretty <laughs> heavy. I'm not like, but don't worry. We're, we're doing Invincible the week after, so you'll be fine. No, uh, no, no pressure. 
She's a trooper. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, it's funny because I listen. I listened to um, the last one, the Supergirl one, um, and then she was like, "Oh yeah, it's only like one issue to read." And I was like, "Oh no!" Because by the time I read it, I was like, "Dallas would need to read five issues." And I was like, "Oh no!" I quintupled Alexis's <laughs> workload, <laughs> and she dropped off the podcast. It's crazy <laughs> how that happened. Not a coincidence. All I'm saying. Oh man. We're suffering from missing our main character, but yeah. I think I think you've been a good substitute, Matt. I'm happy to be one. You can be certified Alexis. That's um, great. I think that's a compliment. I think so too. I'm excited to revisit Sandman now that I've read a few of Gaiman's novels. Beyond like I read Coraline when I was a kid. And mm. so I, I was not thinking like, hmm, what can I notice about this author? And so now reading a few things, it'll be interesting to come back and see if I'm more fond of Sandman. Because I really, I wanted to like it. And when I was liking it, there were a few things that were better. But then I feel like there were some solid chunks where it felt like real B minus comics to me. And I was like, a lot. <laughs> oh, That's like the worst fucking insult I've ever heard. <laughs> That's worse than saying it was an F. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is a real B minus for me. <laughs> <laughs> Better than yeah. next time. Maybe work a little harder on your next assignment. Maybe don't be playing video games while you're filling out your homework, Neil. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'm going to write him a letter and be like, you know, I actually think there were some arcs in here that you could have worked harder on. And he'll be... <laughs> He'll be like, I am so much better at this than you'll ever be. I'll be you're, he will you're respond right. to you right. on Twitter. Yeah. He will quote tweet you on Twitter. Like he, he, he will, does it all the time. He'll send he you like, to hell. Like he's pretty nice on Twitter, but I'll, I'll see him be like, no, you're completely wrong. Yeah. Which I like. Just, like down. Yeah. <laughs> I love him shutting down anyone who shit talks the actors and actresses and performers for the upcoming Sandman stuff. But he's mm-hmm. just like, you just don't read my work. You just don't yeah. get it. So it, fuck off. I, I don't know how to think. I completely withhold judgment from the Sandman project. I'm a little worried about it. Mm-hmm. It's a lot to bite off for a, a Netflix show. Yeah, so we'll and see. it's it's hard to adapt in any medium. So yeah. we'll we'll see. Especially because the first season is going to be like the first volume of, of the work. You know, it's yeah, like, that's the weakest stuff. Like we'll see where it goes from there. Um, it's, it's funny. Maybe I'm telling tales outside of school, but like I like I forget what exactly what it was. But I tweeted something about Sandman, and then uh, Troy Boyo seventeen like responded with like a joke <laughs> about Sandman, and then someone else responded and tagged Neil Gaiman, and Troy oh, no. deleted his tweet immediately. He deleted the, the response because he was, and I was like, I messaged him. This isn't I'm not this isn't that big of a deal. I was like, what? Why did you delete your tweet? That was super funny. He's like. Dude, someone tagged Neil Gaiman and he responds on Twitter. <laughs> like, I can't. <laughs> I the amount of times I've had that exact same panic when someone tags any any creator under my stuff. It's yeah, it's real to, and it's immediate. Yeah, that's why Yo. I had to beat the shit out of Donnie Cates online. <laughs> <laughs> I've had I've had Gail Simone respond to me two separate times to me like this is stupid and i've just had to like sit there for the rest of the day and be like oh no i love everything you write you can't think i'm a moron i was here staring at the ceiling i was like i think dc comics are bad just to be stupid and she's like you're stupid and i'm like well you're right if someone tagged neil gaiman under one of my posts i think i'd simply deactivate just to be safe 
I almost <laughs> did that when Glenn fucking tagged Nicole Maines under my Dreamers playlist, but I couldn't respond in time. And by the time I came back, she'd already responded. And I'm like, no, Glenn, well, goddamn well, it. I didn't see that. Did she? I, I mean, did. I hope that it was a nice it was, response. It was good. She's, it was a good response. I'm still mad at Glenn. Love you, Glenn, but I'm still mad at you. Yeah, it was a good response. She said she liked the playlist and she gave me Rex to put on it. <laughs> That's awesome. See, that's it's good. A- it wasn't like she was like, keep my name. Definitely could have been worse. <laughs> but when I saw that pop up in my notifications, my heart stopped. I'm pretty sure I was going to die in that moment. Uh, you're a much better person than me. Because again, back to Donny Cates, when I saw, was like I, I woke, I woke up, and like I was like looking at my phone, I was like, <laughs> I'm gonna fuck this guy, <laughs> all over. All right, let me see what you got. <laughs> if you haven't written anything good since God Country, send and move on with your day. God Country's great. I God Country like, is great. I even like Venom. You know, I, Venom's I like, great. I'm I Venom. Like, I like half of Venom. Um. Well, yeah, I don't know. Venom Listener, really fell Leonard. off a Venom really fell off a cliff after Absolute Carnage. Is really I I, I don't think it fell off a cliff. I think it took a little bit of a dip, but I don't think it fell off a cliff. It was tre- I think it was treading water. Like the Venom Beyond think, story yeah. was treading water, especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It had like the Green Lantern syndrome, where it's like we're building up to this one thing, and then afterwards, it's like okay, now we're just going to cruise control until this is over. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Class. He's, you're saying he Hal Jordaned it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. He became the Spectre. He did the only interesting I'm... thing he's ever done, and then he becomes a Spectre, and then Jeff Johns <laughs> pulled him out of the trash like a little raccoon. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to make this my whole personality. <laughs> Jeff I, Johns, I'm telling little raccoon of comics. He's like, he is the little me, raccoon Let me comics. dig through Alan Moore's trash. What's in here for my stories? <laughs> <laughs> he's got little raccoon like, hands. <laughs> Here's a three page. Here's a three page story that Alan Moore wrote on a whim. Maybe I'll make it my whole personality. <laughs> do we, we want to get? Do we want to get to questions? I want to talk about how we Superman fought on Twitter. <laughs> I want to talk about how Superman fought Doctor Manhattan, and everyone had to wait three years to read it. <laughs> so stupid, garbage. So stupid. And they're still letting that guy write comic books. Yeah, and they're like, Jeff, do you want to come back and write? The JSA. No one else is allowed to touch them. I I feel so like, bad about. I, I feel so bad for the guys who are doing Flashpoint because, from what I heard, they took the idea, they pitched it, and they're like, "That's great, let's get Jeff Johns on this with you." And I'm just like, "No, uh, and shoot. don't don't do that to them. Just let uh, them write it." I didn't realize like, that. It's what you get for pitching a sequel to Flashpoint. Is all I have to say. <laughs> you get what you deserve. You That's look good. someone in the uh, you look someone in the eyes and you're like, I think we should go back to Flashpoint. You get to work with Jeff Johns. <laughs> Jeff Johns just pokes his head over the cubicle like, did someone did someone say? Did you someone see say the Flashpoint? little you see the little raccoon hands come up over the corner. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I I used to write a pretty good Flash. <laughs> that was about twenty years ago. I wrote a lot of Flash since then that no one remembers. But can I write your Flashpoint book again? <laughs> what do you I've, say? I've, I've never wished more that this was a visual podcast than I, I ruined I, psst, I ruined Ray Fisher's life I'll do the same <laughs> to you 
Ray, I'm sorry. I love you, Ray. You're the best thing about the Snyder Cut. And I gave that movie three stars. Three out of five on Letterboxd. And I'm really generous on Letterboxd. I'm a really kind reviewer. Ray, you are the best thing. I'll ruin your love, too. Oh, shit. Listen right, questions. Let's see some listener questions. All right. This one is from Ethan Yunt. He says, hi, all. Quick question for the podcast. Alan Moore is well known for taking established characters and changing them dramatically to suit his story. Most notably, Miracle Man, Supreme, Captain Britain, and of course, Swamp Thing. If you were to pick any character to have a Moore-like transformation, who would it be and what would it look like? Love the podcast, Ethan Yunt. So who would we like to see 1980s Alan Moore pick apart and put back together? Primo Alan Moore. Hmm. That's a, I mean, it's a great question. Uh, you know, Moore worked so much with, with like DC, you know, my mind more draws toward like Marvel. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, who, I mean, who would be like, I think about people that maybe had a bit of a, you know, have not quite broken through or have like gone stagnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm thinking about, you know, more, it, it's tough because more is a lot more like high minded and like existential cosmic in what he does. Mm-hmm. So you blend that with like, you know, Mo- Marvel and I would go, um, you know, I would go um, Marvel, Captain Marvel, like the original Captain Marvel. Um who we don't really need anymore. Um, mm-hmm. But that we also don't need him because he's completely useless. now. So it's like, if you have, mm-hmm. or even known, you know what? Adam Warlock, do Adam Warlock. Oh, that would be fun. That would be really good. Mm-hmm. Do I, Jim Starlin has been screwed over by Marvel so many times he's done. You know? And so mm-hmm. like, it'd be like, what would Alan Moore do with, uh, with Adam Warlock? I think that Alan Moore is the only person Jim Starlin would let play with his toys, though, as well. Mm-hmm. I love every time anyone does anything with Thanos, Jim Starlin it's, comes up over the corner. My lawn. <laughs> He's like, you motherfuckers, <laughs> I told you. Turns on the sprinklers. Yeah, all right. Yeah, all right. Here comes another Thanos comic. Thanos rising number four. Oh, you... <laughs> Um, I, this is, I don't so much care about like the deconstruction of it, but I think I really like Alan Moore's deconstruction of America in American Gothic. (laughs) And I think that would be interesting to see directed into a Captain America comic. Like I don't. Peacemaker. That would be fun. He definitely could have done a fun Peacemaker. I just, I would love more than anything. I'd love to see him talk about how he sees America now in the same way he was in the eighties, because I Mm -hmm. think what, what is scary and somewhat sad is how well so many of his critiques still work today. And I think that there could be an interesting continuing conversation that way. See, the crazy thing is for me, I keep thinking about characters that I would like to see brought to the forefront that need something drastic. And they all have had things like this happen before. Like, it feels like writers try to take like halfway steps to making them interesting, but either one take them a completely nonsensical direction just for pure shock value. I was thinking about power girl 
And like, I need to separate her more from Supergirl and Superman than she is now. And then I remembered in the 90s, they tried to make her Atlantean for some reason. And that was a thing for a while. And I also thought about like, oh, well, what about Iron Man? And I realized like just a couple years ago, they tried doing that. It's like, oh, well, he's not actually the the son of Tony Stark. He's like adopted or something. And that was a mm. weird storyline that went on mm. for a little bit. And I'm like, yeah, we've what? forgotten all about that. <laughs> I'm like, what character do I think needs this revitalization? What character do I want them to take a chance on? And honestly, thinking about it, I think the current Captain Marvel, I think Carol could really use someone to take a chance on her. Because just talking to Kelly Thompson back when we did, she mentioned one of the things that sucks about working on Carol is just the fact that you can't really take those risks with her. Because just the position that... They put her in after Civil War II, and just the precarious position she's been in since she put pants on in 2012 has just been, you cannot do anything drastic with her, or you will turn off people who are already vehemently against this character. And the, the Civil War II didn't really help that. No, no, it did not. Bendis, I'm under your floorboards. Um, Bendis! <laughs> Bendis. This time in a bad way. Just shouting out everyone on this podcast. <laughs> she she needs something. She needs a booster shot, and it needs to be yeah. like immortal Hulk size to get people mm. back invested in her. Which yeah. sucks because they should be now because her comic now is just wonderful. But it is definitely a holding the course comic instead of we're, we're going to revitalize her comic. Do you yeah. think that Alan Moore can help find the symbol that Power Girl's been looking for? You know, so she's, she's got the <laughs> so hole in the costume hole? where the uh, symbol's supposed to go. I, I think Alan Moore's the only person who can. He's the only one who <laughs> the can only one. put the big U there. <laughs> Her symbol is the boobs, says Jeff <laughs> The Jones. boobs. Yeah, thanks. Oh, we're back to Jeff. Okay, that's that's my answer. I think it's an important part of talking about Alan Moore is spending 15 minutes talking about Neil Gaiman and then just cursing Jeff Johns every <laughs> couple of minutes. Yeah, so this, the spirit of Alan Moore is purely represented here tonight. It's, it's if that, you listen it's carefully. That, um, it's that Gordon Ramsay meme, which is like, what is it, the two where he's like hugging the, the little girl and he's like, oh, beautiful, just beautiful. And the other one is like, you fucking donkey! It's like... <laughs> Me with Neil Gaiman. Uh, me with Jeff Johns. <laughs> I I feel like it's it's the meme as well where they're playing with the little girls in the water. It's like Neil Gaiman. And then the one that's sort of drowning is Grant Morrison. And the one that's at the bottom of the lake is yeah. Jeff Johns. <laughs> uh, um, and do you want to read our Glenn question of the week? Yep. Play that theme music. That was nice. That was the Glenn question of the week theme. (laughs) I'm so glad. So glad we we listened to that whole thing. Hi, Swampers. I liked the guest co-host last week with the husky voice. I hope Alexis comes back through. Comes back, though. I like her quote-unquote pep. Number one, I think if this run was released now, it would fit in with the current great age of horror comics we're seeing. What are some of your current favorite horror comics? Department of Truth is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I think it's the Tinian book that's working for me. I know that Nice House on the Lake gets a lot of love, but mm-hmm. I don't care about data pages, and so I skip them usually. And then They're I found the out, Welcome I found out, 
the, the whole story is taking place Everyone. in the data pages of Nice House on the Lake. And I was like, oh, that might be why it's not working for me, is I keep skipping half the story. <sighs> Fun. That's great. I read like the first 15 issues of Something's Killing the Children. And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> she, Erica Slaughter's cool and everything else stinks. Okay. Mm, it's I, kind of, I kind of feel like she got on the scooter. on this podcast. You. Fight me. <laughs> <laughs> done. Done. Let's do it. Where you at? Let's go. <laughs> I thought that it was overlong, too decompressed, and derivative. All right, your turn. I thought it was fun. Ba-boom. <laughs> no fun. I can't believe you could have fun while reading a comic book. It's, this is serious business. Sometimes you got to try really fucking hard. <laughs> I'm so sick of white comics critics. Oh, Ugh, shoot. Talking about Grant Morrison. <laughs> uh, um, I, honestly, like I said, horror comics are so hard for me to get into. Yeah. The only horror, like... <laughs> storyteller I'm following right now at any way shape or form is just Junji Ito because he's the only person who actively makes me feel afraid that's fair yeah I'm, I mean we talked about this when we did the um, Through the Woods comic I, mm-hmm. it, it's not exactly like I love horror movies I love comic books not super into horror comics um, so yeah Through the Woods was awesome anything Emily Carroll yeah. does mm-hmm. um, but yeah again that's I guess every time I come on we talk about like really messed up stories, right? You know, mm-hmm. people turning into bog monsters and getting eaten in the woods and stuff like that. We should do like a good vibes comic. Yeah, time. let's. I, I actually heard Black Sad's really fun. I don't know if anyone's heard <laughs> I'm of that unfamiliar. one. I'm unfamiliar with that particular <laughs> comic. Um, is he in, let me get this right. I think I just heard about them today. The X-Men? Um, yes. No, no, he he's is. an inhuman. That was a retcon. Oh, okay, oh, right. I yeah, know the Inhumans. Go. I'm very familiar yeah, with the Inhumans. Yeah, okay. yeah, because they're, they're big, Marvel's they're huge. They're title. Yeah. yeah. So um, the Terrigen Mist turned him into the big black cat. But then the retcon was that he was a cat that was turned into a human-sized? Right. Yeah, he's yep, always he's a cat. A cat that always thinks he's a person, cat. yeah. A Got cat it. with dreams of grandeur. Exactly. Okay. that makes sense. Yes. Um. Speaking of good vibes comics, have either of you read uh, This One Summer by Mariko and Jillian Tamaki? I picked it up a couple weeks ago. Haven't read it yet. It's the Tamaki book I have not read yet. All right. You got to read it. I'd love to talk about it on the podcast. No pressure. No, if you want me to we'll, be we'll on Sandman. <laughs> I don't hear any clickety You're going you're gonna to hold what? Sandman hostage until we talk about This One Summer. <laughs> <laughs> We got to build up to it. <laughs> it's the three act structure. We'll talk about those girls in the middle, and then we can come back to Bingo. weird horror books. <laughs> Question two: I see Immortal Hulk as kind of a modern day version of this run. Thoughts? We'll not discuss that dirtbag of an artist. We will not, Glenn. Hatsune Miku was a great artist for Immortal Hulk. I thought she did a great job. <laughs> um. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. I think that no Swamp Thing, no Immortal Hulk. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Goes off in different directions, but this whole like redefining of the character completely at the core, pushing into horror, the afterlife, 
things like that. Like reckoning with the self. It's totally Swamp Thing. <laughs> I think there are more religious overtones in Immortal Hulk that I appreciated, but like that's sort of mm. surface dressing more <laughs> than like I agree. It's it's a modern day. What if God was a spaceship? Just think. Okay, about you uh-huh. have intrigued. Uh-huh. Somebody has spaceship. to be kind to Hulk because Hulk is a spaceship, right? And now, if God has a Hulk, and Hulk is a spaceship, what if God was a spaceship? Just does God have? It. Does God's spaceship have a Hulk? And that Hulk would yes. also be a spaceship. This is we're getting levels of Inception here. Mm-hmm. 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 And that's like it takes okay. to create a spaceship Hulk. Yeah. So does that mean Hulk is God? No, Hulk is a spaceship. Yeah, but if a spaceship is God, then by the transitive property. Transubstantiation. No, no property, just spaceships. <laughs> just, no math, just spaceships. Is Swamp, <laughs> Swamp Thing a spaceship? Yes. I, I, I imagine writing that Hulk run, um, you know, in the Lego movie, when the astronaut Ooh. guy, Benny's like, Spaceship! <laughs> just says that over and over. <laughs> <laughs> Scrawling with a crayon. <laughs> we are becoming more and more unhinged. Three thoughts on Snyder's Swamp Thing. I think People we covered that a it, right? bit earlier. Yeah. It good, he big, crazy stuff. <laughs> All right, your turn. And your turn. Um Bubble Kid, Big Evil, Major Scary. Ooh. Dallas. Haven't read too long. <laughs> Only more. <laughs> Only more. In, in all honesty, Rot World is amazing. And that Animal Man mm-hmm. is actually the same reason why I haven't picked up Grant Morrison's Animal Man yet. Because yeah. I'm like, I like this one a lot. I don't want to go into something that's very different. Right. Change is bad. Change is bad. Yeah. So, there you go. anyways, finally, number four, favorite flower. Tulip. I like that exchange. Tulip. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta find a new flower now. God. How about you, Matt? While she's she's trying to figure out a favorite flower. Google flowers. Venus flytrap. That's not a flower. Pretty sure it is. No, it's not. I'm a biologist. It's not. They open like this. It's, it's, it's an animal. <laughs> it's not. Shut the fuck up. It's, it's Alec Holland. <laughs> a Venus flytrap is just the spirit of a velociraptor that the plant brought up into mm-hmm. it while growing on Got top it. of the fossil. We didn't I talk like about peonies. Peonies are great. We didn't talk about it, but I do love the. Th- it's about three pages in the actual anatomy lesson where. Um, Jason Woodrow is talking about actually what Alec Holland is. Yeah. He's doing this like really big breakdown and you see the Holland going into the swamp and the body and it being reformed. Like yep. it's really visceral. Um, but it, it's also scientific while also being visceral. And it, it's those pages that change swamp thing really mm-hmm. well done. Like, I think that's a really oh, yeah. fantastic mm-hmm. part of it. I would also like to point out though, cause I did look this up that study about the, um, the, um, Worms that has been sensed, um, pretty thoroughly critiqued and debunked. They're like, this was, this is not okay. But what they did find is if you cut the head off one of these, um, worms, it will grow its head back 
And it will still have the memories it had before, even though it lost its brain. Oh, that's fascinating. So there's still <clears throat> might be something to the theory of memory RNA. So memories are stored in the ass. You exactly. First. And for the force is stored in the balls. It is. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Somehow Palpatine returned. <laughs> We just got we got everything covered on this you know podcast that, today. You know that giant crane that he was on? Yes. You know that was lifting him in and out? It was attached to two really big balls. <laughs> yeah, it actually had truck nuts on the back. <laughs> yeah. And that's where the go. force was. Was in the crane truck nuts. Yeah. Ray like shot the force back into the balls. <laughs> it has a bumper sticker that says, Ask me if I give a sip. <laughs> all um, right that's pretty good that I'll, was, give you, I'll give you that thank you, you. Took, that, you took you took a walk there but all right let's let's go for it her name is ray ray swamp thing that was our glenn question of the week thank you very much glenn <laughs> but you but we made you regret that one glenn <laughs> <laughs> the beatings yes. will continue until morale improves. <laughs> Glenn sitting at home like, I just asked about flowers and I got all of that. Um, Alexis decided to write in some questions of the week since she couldn't be here. She says, hello, lovelies. I am so sorry I had to miss this week due to a vocal rest. Peep last week's episode and you'll know. But I thought what better way to still be a part of the Swamp Thing love than ask a few questions myself. So her first question. Who are you? Where are you going? <laughs> what am I? What is your purpose? <laughs> I, I serve. You pass the butter. Oh What do you think of the love dynamic between Swamp Thing and his love interest Abby after the deconstructing of his character and physical being in the anatomy lesson? Oh, How do you shit. feel like this enhances or even changes their dynamic? Do you think it does? Overall thoughts, please. Alexis was like, yeah, I did my homework, even though I wasn't even on yeah. the podcast. She, I I will say, she loved your video about Rites of Spring, Matt. She said she watched awesome. it a few times and really, really appreciated it. Shit's all about plant sex. <laughs> Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about yams and me. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Because, yeah, um... Yeah, I think that Rite of Spring is like one of Alan Moore's best comics. Um, personally, like I talked about it a bit, you know, and the whole, the queerness of the relationship too and how that, that applies mm-hmm. to it. So I'd like to hear both of your thoughts. I think it enhances the relationship and it, it makes it more solid because the fact that Swamp Thing goes through this, realizes he's not a person, but he still has these feelings for Abby that makes him a person, at least to me and in the context of the story, he is someone who still cares about the people that he cares about. And that's something special. He doesn't have to be Alec Holland to do that. So I think it's really cool seeing in the anatomy lesson, how like there isn't the emotional relationship that Abby's looking for with her husband. Mm -hmm. We can see with his little projected blue lady, like an implication of not much past, like, like a, a more, a carnal connection than anything, you know, like he very clearly wants that specific thing from her. She's not reciprocating it. And so I think it's incredibly important to her that that's not something that Swamp Thing is looking for in the same way. 
Swamp Thing wants to connect with her. He wants to spend time with her. And he's able to give give her that relationship she hasn't been able to find anywhere else. And she is able to help him stay attached to humanity in a way that's significant to him. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you get that without the inherent queer nature of their relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's this is a in the end, this is a romance. Like this story is about their romance, like through and through. It's what propels a lot of the story in the end. It's some of the best comics. It's the motivation for for Swamp Thing. We get to see so much from Abby's point of view. She is the secondary character. In the end, this mm-hmm. is, it's what the story ends on too. Is 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 their relationship after after all of horror. I agree. It's my favorite secret romance comic. What's another one? What's another good secret romance comic? Mm-hmm. I think the how- early run of Spider Man is a romance comic that people don't huh. acknowledge. That's why it was really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, not to not to say good things about Jeff Johns, but. The New 52 Aquaman. Actually, Aquaman all the way from New 52 through Rebirth is a really great romance comic. Mara makes mm. those books as good as they are. Hubba hubba. I agree. I'm saying, mm-hmm. I'm saying she nice. She nice. <laughs> oh, Dallas oh I have descended into darkness. <laughs> <laughs> we we got to wrap it up. It's past Dallas. <laughs> yeah, um, they're flicking the lights. Shut the off. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Alexis asks if you could go on a one-off mission with Swamp Thing yourself what would you want it to consist of environmental shenanigans good or bad please be as crazy as you want I want to go to fucking hell yo I want to zoom it up (laughs) (laughs) okay so first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to have him grow some weed and then we're going to (laughs) take real kind real kind (laughs) The real kind, the good shit. He knows. He he (laughs) We're gonna smoke it, and then we're gonna say hi to my my pal Jeff Bezos, and we're gonna fuck some shit up. (laughs) You're just high as hell with Swamp Thing. Yeah, eating the shit out of Jeff Bezos. If I'm hanging out with Swamp Thing, I cannot be sober. I need to be. You're. you're, I just see you're high as hell. Swamp Mm -hmm. Thing is just like just. Because he's pinned down Jeff Bezos. He's just beating on his legs for a while. Right. And you're just like dancing in the background. You can't like break dancing. Do you pull out some cardboard? And you're like, I want him to do that thing where he makes like 12 versions of himself, but I specifically want them to be about a foot tall because I think that'd be hilarious. That's specifically, <laughs> I want foot tall swamp things yeah, yeah, yeah. beating up Jeff Bezos. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> It's like when we man body slammed Sami Zayn at WrestleMania this year. That's just exactly. that's just a reference for me. Yeah, yeah, no, no, <laughs> completely. I totally got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to go to space with Swamp Thing, and I want to go make fun of Adam Strange for <laughs> being like Batman. Space cuck. He's a space cuck. <laughs> exactly. I just want to go and point <laughs> out to him every time, like, Shit, you really can't get any, can you? And just watch him get it Mm-mm. more and more. The universe does not want him to get any. Every time they're like, yoink. (laughs) It drags his ass away. I see him starting (laughs) to give that look and I'm like, Zeta Beam's incoming, moron. I think that'd be a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) Owned. Owned. Now it's just me and Alana here on Ram. Exactly. I was like, I'm going to have Zeta Beam's. I'm going to send you some videos. (laughs) 
<laughs> I like the, the idea that the Zeta Beams aren't random, that there's just some person on Ron who's just like watching him at all times. He's just like, I'm waiting for. He's got a red button there, and every time he presses it, it happens. And no, he's no, just no. Like, yeah, I like, need yeah. this to be perfect. <laughs> Click. <laughs> Click. Oh, you're on the toilet? Click. <laughs> <laughs> Be, just mid, he zoinks mid, back. Just, <laughs> mid scoot. I'd get him mid, mid scoot. He hasn't cut that bread yet. And just click. Put him, put him in the middle of a fucking prison. <laughs> Enjoy prison. <laughs> Try to get the Zeta Beam from behind bars. You got, I hope you got a real good lawyer. Mike Murdoch at your service. <laughs> oh, so... oh, that was really good. That was really stupid. Oh. I turned my camera off, but I'm crying. That was really funny. This is what happens when the podcast goes too long with me. <laughs> um, Alexis says, I hope you all had so much fun recording. I can't wait to be back for next week's episode. Oh. We miss also, you. what's your favorite plant and why? We already answered what's flavor your favorite flower. Plant? I know. Favorite, yeah, but the plants are different. Because I like I like sundews because they're like carnivorous plants, except they melt you in the open. They're sticky death traps. Ooh, that's cool. And that's all I got to offer there. I just had to. I had, I had to point that out. I'm gonna go potatoes. Very versatile <laughs> plant. <laughs> that's good. That's really good, actually. <laughs> I was gonna go with something stupid like a redwood, but <laughs> potatoes really got me there. Yeah, I give it up to Dallas for the common sense answer. He's really the common sense voice. Forget, yeah, no, forget the podcast. it. Fuck it. I like yeah, pickles. Please. Pickles are good. Good like plan. <laughs> Not cucumbers. I'm talking pickles. No. Cucumbers are lame. Yeah, pickles bread. are the good plant. We've got our bread and butter pickle plant here. We've got our dill pickle plant here. Bread. Bread is a good plant. It's a solid plant. Yeah. I like that you're clowning yeah. on me like potato isn't the right answer. You're like, idiot, I like the bread plant. Potatoes come from the ground. It's just right there. Everything comes from the ground, Dallas. That's where things are. <laughs> what about clouds? What about rain? Mm. Time to talk. You're going to learn about the water cycle today. Nah, it stays up. <laughs> They're just up there. It's up there. Okay. Next God, question comes there. from <clears throat> Mullet Overlord, Dear Comics Collective, Swamp Thing. Oh my God. <laughs> Swamp Thing, have, never having been Alec Holland, is probably one of the most positively received retcons in comics, especially among those with a universal rewrite to back them up. Without a universal rewrite to back them up, sorry. What are some other retcons that you look favorably upon, both as the happen and with both as they happened and with hindsight? And what do you believe separates a good retcon from a bad one? Keep up the good work, and thank you for gifting us with this wonderful show. Sincerely, Mullet Overlord. Good Best. retcons in comics. Yeah. Huh. I think the the Moira X retcon in current mm -hmm. X-Men has yes. been phenomenal. And I think it's largely successful because it taps into the central themes of the X-Men. And it's very additive. It's saying this was also going on in the background mm -hmm. of these stories instead of saying those stories didn't actually happen because I'm a giant baby that dislikes them, 
which I think a lot of retcons are. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, there is the trend, right? There, I think I've read that like every comic book writer wants comic books to be like what they were when they were 12. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is that. Yeah. And, anyway, and I'm sure you had a I, I was going to say, what come up with. the difference between a good retcon and a bad retcon for me is something that changes the character but enhances what came before rather than detract from it. And there's a moment in um, Green Arrow. Um, one second, let me. I remember the arc. It's the um, the Archer's Quest. Sorry, um, where Ollie and Roy go on this um, long cross country road trip to um, collect some of his items from before he died. And I can't spoil what happens in it because Dallas, we're going to read the story eventually, and I don't want you to know what happens. But there's a retcon at the end of that that pertains to a relationship Ollie had before he died that is really, really emotional and resonates really, really well. I think it changes a lot about the relationship he had with certain characters back before, and it adds a depth that wasn't there previously that I think was really appreciated. That's probably one of my favorites. Um, I'll go with Winter Soldier. I think the Winter Soldier is a really good retcon. It was really Bucky did not die uh, in the explosion, but was, you know, turned into a Soviet super soldier. And, you know, you get the coming of the Winter Soldier and Steve's Mm -hmm. um, confrontation. And it adds a great modern character. Modern Bucky Barnes, Winter Soldier is great. And also it does not um, it does not undo all those years of Steve feeling guilty for for Bucky. And the death. Mm-hmm. That's all there still. He still has all that guilt. And now he has a different type of guilt because of everything that happened to Bucky. I yep. think it, I think it's really great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it's To me, it, it, I mean, Red Hood and Winter Soldier happen at like the exact same time. And I much prefer Winter Soldier. I think it's a better story. Mm-hmm. And it has better emotional resonance than, than Red Hood. Wonderful. I should Thank continue you. Brubaker's cap run. I read the up to the death of Steve. And then I haven't read past. Um, yeah, it's it's Bucky taking on the Captain America mantle is really good. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. that when you get to Captain America Reborn, I think you can kind of stop there. Yeah, I think I was turned off. I don't love superheroes as spies. And mm-hmm. the book also felt very immediately post 9-11 to me in its themes. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah. that made it a harder read approaching it for the first time like two years ago. I was like, oh okay. my gosh. I think what's important to, to think about with that comic is that it is not exactly post 9-11. It is several years into the war on terror. And I think there's a sense of disillusionment there that I think is very important versus what mm-hmm. you read, um, which is the directly post 9-11 Captain America with um, John Cassidy on art, mm-hmm. which is like a lot more like pro-America and a lot more like pro-war on terror. And this is a few years into it and we're a lot more disillusioned. And I think if you see it through that lens, you'll see where it's going. And what's trying to grapple with. I, th- I think it's a really strong comic ev- even now. Um, speaking of uh, superhero spies, have either of you read Mark Wade and Chris Somney's Black Widow? Bits and pieces. I think it's great. It's a really great comic. It's only 12 issues. It's like 12 issues, two <clears throat> arcs. I think the first arc is stronger than the second arc, but mm-hmm. I really like it. And it's almost, actually, it's almost entirely Chris Somney's book. Mm-hmm. And okay. um, it was all his plot. Um, and he and Mark Wade said that he said, like, Chris just hired me to help him with, like, the dialogue. Um, and of course, Somni's all he's doing his own thing. Jonna 
Have you read yes. Jana and the Unpossible Monsters? Jana is excellent. Fun? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Big fan. Okay. Yeah. I'll check it out. Yeah. I really like it. All right. Last question of the week. This one is from Zach Livesay. He says, hello, folks and Matt. Very groovy to see you guys talking about one of the greatest runs ever. My question for y'all is, is there any part of this run that left you wanting more? And if so, is there a Swamp Thing story that does that particular thing better? P.S. Happy very, very early Spawn-tember to Matt. <laughs> We're going to Zeta beam the shit um, out of you next time you're in an important moment. I'm going to... Boom, Spawn-tember. <laughs> I'm going to jump into this one real fast since there is a lot of this run I haven't read. I feel like I can't really answer this because if there is anything I wanted more of, I'm sure I'll find it later going through the run. But Mm -hmm. is there anything that this did that I wanted from a different run? I'm not really. I think, honestly, a lot that happens in this has been better than some of the other Swamp Thing runs I've read. So I'm pretty satisfied. Hmm. What is the weakest like story in Moore's Swamp Thing? Um, um, I didn't love I the end of American Gothic. Yeah, I think that American Gothic has highs and lows, mm-hmm. like throughout. Like some of the like because it's a lot of one-off stories that are loosely connected, and some are stronger than others. Um, and yeah, the end, the last couple issues, I don't think is the strongest of of what he's going for. As far as if there's one that's done it better, I'm not entirely sure. Um, you know that big climactic conflict between good and evil is a lot of um, the end of Snyder's swamp thing and with, you know, the rot. And so maybe that's stronger and that balance in the world. Um, Yeah. Um, I think it's not that I don't love nuke face and the newspapers about the bomb. It was really disheartening to find out that like 80% of those newspapers they used in that issue were from Utah and where I grew up. So I was like, shout out. Yeah. Thank you. Downwinders, very aware. Thank you very much, Mr. Moore. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, yeah, that is a phenomenon. And you were ahead of the trend. A lot of cancer in Utah. But uh, I thought that Rom V's exploration of, with like the buried nuclear bomb, and I think it was the fourth issue of Rom V's Swamp Thing, and just talking about how the threat of nuclear warfare, the threat of destruction can warp a community, can warp people. I thought that was a more compelling exploration of the nuclear bombs relationship to the world than nuke face was like, as much as I, I did end up liking the nuke face story. I like Ram V's approach to it better. Yeah. No, I, well, I haven't read Ram V's something yet. It's, I know so it's supposed to be good. Great, so, um, yeah. I'm definitely going to read it, but um, I agree. Nuke face has interesting real world parallels and a lot of commentary, which is great. And it keeps something like socially relevant, but it's not the strongest story. I mean, like I said, it's a, it's a it's a wino who's who drinks radioactive waste. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's not exactly nuance. Um, yeah, and then oh, I had one on Twitter. Uh, D1M asked uh, opinion on the comic Invincible. I've read the first couple volumes of Invincible. I oh. I enjoyed it. I haven't read all of it though. I mean, come on, the, you know what's really compelling about this character? I mean, apparently he's invincible. Like he can't be beaten. Like then, then nothing's gonna happen to him. Nothing bad could possibly happen to a character named Invincible. That's very true. That's a sound assessment of the whole book. Okay. Um, I think and, that... and just waiting, just waiting, just not no comment. I I got nothing. I'm okay. It's. I love it. 
Um, You're going to, I know that I, I heard an earlier podcast. You were going to eventually cover Invincible. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Starting. Next? After, after the, like, are we doing? No, after May. Cause we're do, May is covered. May's we, we have two months full of gays. Cause we're doing X-Men and then we're doing LGBTQ stuff. Um, so probably July. I want to say July. We're allowing Mark Spector. Nice. Mark Spector. Nice. Mark Grayson. <laughs> To the come to the podcast after our two months of gay content. Mm-hmm. He can come on and be yeah, our token very, straight guy. It's very nice of you to let, to let him on the pod. <laughs> We're like, Dallas needs some representation here. Yeah. Da- you know, no one has it harder than me, finding representation in comics. <laughs> so um, I guess my answer to D1M is that I haven't read a lot of it. But mm-hmm. if you'd like to know your thoughts, you will be exploring it in depth. Exactly. Yes, yep. we will. Are you going to do one compendium per episode? I don't think I can do that to Alexis. I think that would fully kill her. I've been thinking about whether we want to do... she's nice. You shouldn't kill her. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't want to kill Lexi. No. I've been thinking maybe... Because, like, the issues are pretty brisk. They they read faster than others. So I've been thinking, like, a half compendium each. But even that seems really aggressive. How many issues are there in total? Like, 150? Yeah. Well, we, so 50 per compendium, which would mean mm-hmm. that half a compendium is 25. So, which is like a beefy week, but it's not horrible. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I read the whole series in like two days. It, it reads very quickly. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm glad that you have that time on your hands. I, yeah. It was right in the middle of finals in college, and I was 100% dissociating. I was like, and <laughs> not going to think about this at all. So um, that is the end of our listener questions. Um, my Matt, final question. Yeah. My final question. How would you rank every Friday the 13th movie from Worst Um, Let's see. Okay. So number one is Friday the 13th, the first one. And then that's it because I haven't seen the others. Okay. Wait, no, that's a lie. Um, the second one is right after the first one. And then the third one's right after that. It just It just deteriorates, goes down. Okay. Well, that's... Okay bad ranking but yeah, I'll, yeah. I'm, gonna mm-hmm. you, I'm gonna let you i haven't seen the movie since 2012 <laughs> well at least this, <laughs> this the second and the third one. Oh, wait no just kidding number one is freddy versus jason that movie killed oh, my no. appendix so it has to be number one <laughs> um i think my number really reaching one out of the screen grabbing you <laughs> literally watched it and then the next day i was in the hospital <laughs> <laughs> I put, wish I was joking when I said that movie murdered my appendix. Put that on the DVD cover. This movie <laughs> will murder your appendix. <laughs> Freddy versus Jason. Um, I think the best Friday the 13th movie is the original Halloween. And after that, I think Gosh. that... Scream. Scream. That's good. I think <laughs> Scream is then the next best one. And then I think the original Friday the 13th is the only one I've seen. And I went, that's not very good. And then I watched Matt's video all about Friday the 13th. And I said, I'm just going to watch the second one. And then what was it, like number six you said was the best yeah. one. I was like, uh-huh. I'm just going to skip uh-huh. to number six. And I'm watching that this well, coming October. Six, four and two. They're great. Mm-hmm. Usually you should watch two, four and six in that, in that order. Okay. Yeah. I'll definitely give it a try. Cause I, I didn't watch a lot of horror movies until like two years ago. I got very into them. And then I've watched a lot of what I people say are the all-time greats. And now going into this October, I'm a little bit like, I watched all those. What now? And so now I get to watch a lot of the schlock, and I'm excited about that. 
I think I rec- I recommended the, the Descent to you, which is yes, you did. Oh about. my gosh, yes, it's on the list. <laughs> you should watch the Next original up. Phantasm. Yes. Phantasm. Have you seen Phantasm? I have not. You should watch the original Phantasm. I want to watch the original uh, Suspiria as well. You should watch yeah. the original Suspiria. Mm-hmm. Yes, that, absolutely. I, I like the remake too. It's very different from from the original. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some like slightly off, like slightly off center? Have you seen Evil um, Dead Two, the greatest movie of all time? I have seen all of the Evil Deads. I like them a lot. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. And then next time I come to New York, I'm bringing my copy of The Mist so I can show you the black and white version, which yeah, is oh, the yes. ultimate way to experience that movie. So mm-hmm. nice. That's my favorite monster movie. I think Alien is my favorite monster movie still, but I forgot that that counts. <laughs> Predator is also good. Predator is the second greatest movie of all time. Evil That's Dead a good one. Good ranking. Predator. I yeah. Predator's fun because every time you watch it, you forget that the line sexual Tyrannosaurus is coming up. And then <laughs> I they never s- forget that line. They say it out loud and you're like, oh, I forgot. I forgot that that happened. I, I can't believe you. That's, that's the moment you watch the movie for. You, you watch it, you're like, okay, I'm five minutes in. The movie's already done. This is crazy. <laughs> I also like that Predator re-earns my faith in Predator halfway through every single time. I'm watching it. I'm like, I've watched this like 150 times. And then I'm starting to be like, is this just like a schlocky action movie? And then it's not. Like when they're gunning down that village, I was like, what did I like about this last time I watched? And then the predator comes and punishes them all for it. And I was like, that's what I liked about this this whole time. Yeah, that's great. And then it makes you watch the other predator movies and you're like, diminishing returns, but still fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Picks up a little bit for AVP and then immediately back down. Immediately back down. AVPR. I can't believe I watched that in theaters. That was terrible. I, I would. <laughs> Dallas, your screen right now is about what AVPR looks like the entire movie. Yeah, through. <laughs> uh, yeah basically, you're like, I think there's, I think they're fighting now. I think there's an alien. Um, yeah, an alien honestly, hybrid. you're you're the most illuminated scene in AVPR. <laughs> I watched that in a pitch black movie theater, and I was like, I can't see shit. Like, what is going on? I can't believe... I, I'm like, someone tried to pirate this movie, and it's just like, they sold me a a, a, a black screen. I, I'm so pissed. Yeah. And I would be... Anyway. Yeah, no. Predator retrospective coming to my channel later this year. Perfect. I'm ready for Here's it. Here's your scoop, everyone. Um, Matt, do you have things you want to plug before we sign out? I figure if you've gotten this far into the podcast, you're probably really sick of me by now. But if you would like to, I have a YouTube channel. It's my name, Matt Draper. I do things on it. Uh, Matt Draper YT, standing for white. Uh, yeah, on Twitter. That's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what all the kids use oh. it for now. Anyways, thank you for <laughs> thank you for coming, Matt. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Sorry. No, it was fun. You <laughs> made was, me laugh till I cried today. And, yeah. you know, that's what it's all about. Exactly. Well, with all of that said, if you like the show and want to hear more from us through the week, please go follow our Twitter account at CMX Collective, or you can find each of us at Dallas underscore comics, at Ann Comics, and at Lexi Lou underscore comics. If you enjoyed the show and want to show your support, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and give us a five-star review. And we'll read it off on the show. And finally, feel free to email us with your questions or comments for the show at thecomicscollective at gmail.com. 
We will see you next week for our episode covering the first 11 issues of Grant Morrison's new X-Men with the guest Connor Goldsmith from the Cerebro podcast. So nice. write in any questions Whoa. you've got about Morrison's I, approach to X-Men. You're always upstaging me with the person that comes on after me. <laughs> Matt, you're number one in our hearts. Look, yeah. Mm-hmm. Listen, uh, we talked about Swamp Thing with you and uh, we'll always have the green. It's no. a, it's a red, wor- it's a red world out there. Matt, <laughs> full of violence and disappointments. <laughs> oh, thank you everyone for listening and game this far. We'll see you next week. Bye. <laughs>